You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm New Pathways Senior Fellow, Chase Pickering, and today I am joined by David Weinberg. Welcome, David. Good afternoon, Trace. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, thanks. A little bit of background on Dave. Uh, Dave's been working as an educator for over 17 years. He believes deeply that education is the greatest tool to impact social change and to help level the playing field for all people. He's been a teacher, principal, curriculum director, assistant superintendent, and in his spare time, founded uh, Epic North High School in New York City. Uh, he now spends his time working to help schools become more innovative and restorative. Uh, I met, I had the privilege of meeting Dave several years ago when he came to our Iowa Big School uh, on a visit team from a group called Springpoint. Um, I was immediately impressed both with David and the site visit process that Springpoint so masterfully uses. Uh, and since then, David has been to our site twice on visits, and I uh, have the privilege now of working with him as a teammate on Springpoint visits around the country. Uh, matter of fact, we were just together in the last couple of days on my first site visit that, uh, that he was the lead on. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you today, Dave, is that I know you've seen hundreds of schools up close, and you have a unique perspective uh, that we really want to tap into here on Getting Smart to talk about um, what works and what doesn't. And so uh, that's our, our conversation today. So love to have you here. Would you want anything to add about uh, yourself that I didn't get covered? Uh, no, that's a beautiful intro. Thank you. I think the bio that you have for me is out of date, though, because I'm up over 20 years now. So, <laughs> which I think just means that I'm old. So, yeah. but I wondered, 17 didn't seem like the math didn't seem like it was going to work for me, but 20 years, yeah. Um, so yeah, do you have a sense of you know roughly how many schools uh, through your career uh, before Springpoint and after that you've been able to visit and see? No, but I do think you're right. I think it's it's um, it's in the three digits for sure, uh, which is pretty intense if you if you think about it. Um, and um, I, I was realizing as you were saying that that that's a really unique perspective because. Um, usually educators are very place bound. And even if they're visiting a lot of schools, it's within a city or within a state. Uh, and one of my favorite things about the last, uh, you know, four or five years, uh, pandemic excluded, of course, is that, uh, I've been able to get all over the country and see places that I, I wouldn't have ever been able to see, you know, schools in Northern Maine, schools in, uh, Yuma, Arizona, like schools all over the place. Uh, and that's been, uh, incredibly powerful and, and super rewarding too. How did you, um, how did you pivot into this? Uh, Cause I know you do consulting and other work, but how did you kind of pivot to the spring point, the site visit? Um, I mean, it's an intense amount of work. It's wonderful work. I had a great couple of days doing it, but how did you, how did you end up uh, spending a lot of your time doing these kind of school visits? Well, um, I started off when I left the school that I founded in New York City. Um, first of all, I had a real <laughs> urge to, like, go see what was happening everywhere. Um, and that was just personal, right? Like, uh, because I had 
I mean, Trace, I know that you have gone through the founding of a school, but it's like giving birth, right? Like the first four years, you can do nothing but focus intently on your school. And that's that's it. Uh, and so as soon as I left, I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm very curious to see, you know, how, what, for example, what we were doing compares to other places. I'm, I was really curious to see what, do, what are other places doing that's new or interesting or good. Um, but I didn't really have... Uh, like a great reason to do it, right? Like I was coaching principals uh, and I was working with um, a couple of districts, but um, I sort of sent out through everybody that I uh, that I knew in the world of education that I was interested in, you know, going to see their school. Um, so like w- one of the first visits I did was just on my own. I just went to a school district in Pittsburgh, uh, outside of Pittsburgh that was doing some really interesting thing with, with STEAM. Uh, and I just sort of was like, hey, I'm a former principal. I'd like to see what you all are doing. And they said, great, come, come see. Uh, and that was great. And it was really powerful. They had a class there. You would have loved it. It's called Invention. Uh, and all it was was uh, sixth graders inventing stuff. Uh, and this kid somehow invented a hockey stick guard that then got bought by uh, Russell Athletics or one of these major uh, athletic uh, clothing companies. Uh, so uh, th- that was sort of how I started. And and my school had been a Springpoint visit school. Uh, my school had been uh, a destination school for a lot of visitors as they came through New York trying to see new things. Um, and so through that, I, I knew some of the Springpoint folks. And when they um, started to do on-site visits, they reached out to me and then sort of one thing led to another. My first Springpoint visit was uh, in California at Summit Shasta, um, which is an XQ school. Uh, and the ball just started rolling from there. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, the other thing is like, I just loved the work, right? Because um, it was everything that I wanted to do. I wanted to talk to students. I wanted to talk to teachers. I wanted to learn more about what was going on. And I was also able to provide a little bit of support for the schools in terms of like uh, mirroring back to them what they were doing, what um, a group of us thought they were doing well and, and some places where they might, uh, you know, take take some next steps to improve. And I, it was great. And I will say that like doing the XQ school stuff was really interesting because um, you know, those were sort of designated as the most innovative schools in America and getting to see the, the breadth of what innovative means was, was fascinating. Uh, awesome. Nice. Uh, and that's how we, uh, we've been met because we were an XQ school and um, spring came, came for that. So, um, just quickly before we dive in, I do, re- I do remember, uh, well, that first visit, I remember that first day cause you know, as a you look at the visit team and you try to gauge what they're about. And I, I always had this sense that you walked in a pretty healthy skeptic. We said we were doing these things. Like I can't tell, I don't think that guy believes we, we do these things. And so that was, uh, that, that was my first recollection. And then the next day you came and, uh, the skeptic in you was gone, which was kind of fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's great to know that I give off that skeptic vibe. That's, that's, that's uh that's great well i i to be honest i am usually very skeptical right because um you know at the point that i had gone to iowa big um 
the most innovative spaces that I had seen had been education adjacent spaces. So like, you know, um, after school programs or places that were maker spaces for youth that weren't connected to a school or a school district. Um, because I think, as you know, as soon as you are called a school, uh, so much of what is innovative immediately disappears, right? Because, uh, because you know, we, we just have this sort of paradigm for what school in the United States is. And, and like, once you, once you say that's what you are, then everybody's expectations, either conscious or unconscious, changed, right? Um, whereas if you're just a space where kids can play with Legos and get free food, you know, there's no boundaries there. You can do whatever you want. Right, right. That's great. So I think uh, my, my first question, um, first real question anyway for you is, what are some of the more encouraging things that you've been able to see uh, as you've traveled across the country seeing these hundreds of schools? Um, what, what are some of the things that give you hope that we can transform education in, in our country? Mm-hmm. I really deeply believe that there's like a group of people in all over the U.S. that are still committed to this idea that education can do great things for young people or that they want to be good people to young people and help them go places. And I will say that I have never been to a school where I didn't meet a few people that were still flying that flag and still fighting that fight. And to me, that's the most inspirational thing, right, To, to go to a school for example, where people feel like what they're doing isn't working or they're demoralized or they're frustrated, but they're still bringing it every day, right? Like they're still bringing it for young folks every day. And that that, that to me is the single most inspirational thing, because that tells me that there's a, you know, there's a critical mass of people that still that still want to do this. You know, like I remember the first time I went, I went to a school in New Orleans and I, t- I talked to uh, and it was, it was a school that had some issues and I talked to a teacher who was also a football coach and he was getting there every day at like 6am to lift weights with the kids. And he taught his, uh, world history class, which was amazing all day long. And then he was out there in the new Orleans sun with the kids until 7pm every day. And that, like that kind of dedication, you can't help but feel like, uh, both humbled and, and just like amazed at the fact that. Uh, and he was not like super happy, but he, you know, he loved the job and he loved the kids. And he was like, this is, this is what I want to do. This, this is the thing that I want to do. And, and I, so that would be the first thing. And then the next thing is like, um, I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of what schools do when they do it right is they create a sense of belonging. Um, they create a sense of purpose and they create a sense of curiosity in young people. And that's not my thinking there, you know, there's, um, groups of researchers that have, have really come up with that. Um, like those three things. And I saw a lot of schools in which one or more of those things were happening. Right. Um, you know, I went to a school in Northern Maine and it was like going to, uh, you know, it was like going to a place that had been stuck in amber. Um, cause like when I was, when I was starting my teaching career, everything was through, uh, understanding by design, which I actually loved. I thought it was great, but then sort of ed reform and all these things passed it by. And this school was still doing understanding by design and doing it at a really high level in 2021. And it, it made me realize that if you do a thing, well, it's great, right? Like it kind of, it almost doesn't matter what you do as long as you use it as the language for 
um, building those three things among young people. Um, and then, I, you know, uh, again, I, I, when I went to Iowa Big, I saw the possibility of what a what a really student centered curriculum looks like. Uh, and I, I had never seen somebody uh, like the story that I tell is that my colleague Anna and I we were wandering around because there was not really clashes, right? Like, and, and we walked into a room and we were trying to figure out whether there was a teacher there. We were trying to, it was like a corporate office space almost, right? Like there was a whiteboard and a conference table and there were four young people sitting there and we were listening to them talk and we could not understand what they were talking about, right? And, you know, we were two adults that in theory should know what was going on. And I asked this young woman, I was like, well, what grade are you? And she was like, I'm a sophomore. And I was like, okay, and what are you guys doing? And, and she said, well, my dad had cancer and he survived. And the nurses all said that one of the main reasons that he survived was because he had a positive attitude. And I just wanted to know, is that true? <laughs> and that's what we're figuring out. And my, my brain exploded in that moment. I was like, oh my gosh, there, that, this is amazing. And I was like, well, what are you doing? And she's like, well, we're preparing to call Harvard to do some research and figure out, like, uh, there's an expert in the field that we've figured out how to contact. And we're going to ask them some questions about the data that we've gathered. Uh, and I was like, I'm sorry, and you're a, you're a sophomore? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think for me, that's everything... You know, that's everything that I ever wanted to see around what curriculum could look like, right? This is real, real world work where a young person is following their passions. It's deeply personal to them. Um, the other three people, I, I, this was years ago, so uh, forgive me if I'm getting the numbers wrong on this, but, uh, but the other three people were also there because they were like, yeah, we love this. We love this young woman and we just want to support her in this project. We became curious because we like her. Right. And, you know, that to me is is sort of, uh, I think, a great representation of what it looks like to be really, really curious and also to really feel a sense of belonging. Right. That that if you do something that you're interested in, other people will follow you and other people will support you in that. Um, and then the last thing that I'll, I'll say that, like, I think has been really, really helpful for me is that talking to young people. Like they know, they know what they need, they know what they want, and they are always able to articulate it without fail. I have never been to a school where a young person hasn't told me directly what's working for them, what's not working for them, what do they want to do in their future, how does what they do connect or not connect to their future. Um, and I think they're always able to call out like um, what they rightly perceive to be injustice when they're not getting those things like that, that. That is such a bright spot for me always. Um, you just got to do your first Spring Point visit and you got to sit in a student panel and I've got to do a bunch of those. And every time I walk away being like, wow, those are great kids, right? Those are great, great young people and they know exactly they know exactly who they are and what they want. Absolutely. So the, the sense of belonging and purpose and curiosity, um, my, my assumption here, I'm just checking my assumption, when you go to these school visits, I'm guessing you often see one of them or two. Is it rare to see all three? Is that kind of the, the, the challenge for schools or is it just like a, a varying mixture? They have all three, but they're all different kind of places or what's been your observation? What have you noticed about any of that? I have never seen a place in which all three are working sort of like uh, symbiotically. Um, 
I, I'm, I'm, it may exist, right? Um, but often what happens in a place is that they do something really well. So you're a school that does a great job at building uh, a sense of belonging. And then they transfer that into building aspirations for young people so that then they're doing work that may not be the most relevant or interesting work, but because they feel like adults love them so much or that they feel like they have such a sense of purpose in their life, they're still able to do it, right? Or the flip side of that is, um, you know, it's a school where people are doing really interesting work and then that allows them to start to feel a sense that they belong in a place or they feel a sense of purpose in their life. Um, but I'm always fascinated by, you know, a trend that I always see is that if you have a good teacher uh, or a good educator doing good things, then young people want to follow whatever that thing is. Right. So if it's a, if it's a CTE school and they have a great automotive program, everybody is like, well, I want to repair cars. That's what I want to do. <laughs> And I think that that is like just a way in which adults try to build a sense of possibility or, or are able to build a sense of possibility. Um, but imagine if everybody was doing that in concert or that was happening systematically and young people were feeling that every time they tried something new. Right. Uh, and so I guess the answer to your question is I've seen places that kind of look like bodybuilders where some of the muscles are really big and some of them aren't quite as big, but they're strong. Right. Um, but I've never seen a place that's been like perfectly, uh, well-rounded among all those things. I also know that at these, at these visits, at least the formal ones that, uh, that I've got to see, you, you, you get to spend a lot of time talking to leaders and talking to other people about their leaders. Uh, when you've seen really like schools that, that you look at and go, you know what, they're, they're really close. I mean, they're, they're doing these three things and a couple of them really well. Um, there's, it's just, it just looks and feels quite different. What patterns and trends do you, have you noticed about the leadership in those schools? Is there, if you had to kind of compare and contrast from a, a traditional school leaders who are typically good at this to be a leader in this kind of school requires this set of skills or uh, this, this, set of a way of being or whatever, whatever you've noticed? Um, I would say that the first thing that comes to mind is that they, every school leader that I have met that is doing what you're talking about, like the first thing that they have to do is they have to be aware. <laughs> this is a very depressing thing to say, but uh, they have to be aware of the limitations of the system, right? Uh, and then they have to be able to protect what they're building from the limitations of that system. Um, and so, you know, as an example of that, I mean, I, you know, just to, to uh, mention Iowa Big again, like, I think that that was something that you all did so well, right? Like you didn't just create a yin in like the, in Iowa big, but you thought a lot about like the game of school and what that means and ways to protect what you built from that game of school. Right. Um, and what that requires is like really being able to a, like hold two totally different ideas in your head at the same time. I mean, I remember when I was a principal in New York city, you know, like we were doing a lot of, really interesting things. And then the week before the New York City Regents, I just became a world history teacher for a week and was like, okay, we're going to, uh, I'm going to tell you all about Genghis Khan right now. <laughs> the kids, you know, like they were like, why are we doing this? Usually we do fun stuff. And I would be like, 
that you, you know you have to play this game in order to do the fun stuff. Um, and I, I, to me, that that's what these good school leaders do is they figure out a way to translate what they're doing and protect what they're doing so that they can create this sort of like real safe and genuine learning space um, because so many of the incentives push in the other direction, right? Um, and that's true for teachers, for students, for parents, for, uh, you know, for them, right? Um, and the other thing that they that they tend to be able to do is be able to tell their story really well uh, and be able to sort of, cl- and, and, and that's why I was so fascinated, for example, by the school that was doing Understanding by Design in Maine, like, they told their story beautifully. And because they told their story so well, it gave everybody a place to buy in on this sort of like curriculum design approach. Um, and that meant that when new staff came in, they were like, I know what we're doing here, right? That meant when young people were doing projects, they were like, I know what we're doing here and I know why we're doing it. And so I would say that this ability to protect and this ability to tell a story that people can buy into are the two sort of common threads that I see. When you first enter a school, like when we we entered that school together on um, Tuesday, what are the first things you look for or notice or are feeling for and, and why? Um, well, the first thing that I always wonder is like, who's greeting you <laughs> and how, right? Because that's the first thing that a young person is going to see when they walk in. So if they walk in and they see a metal detector and a police officer, you know, that sends a pretty strong message. And if they walk in and they see an adult, you know, giving them a hug or, or giving them a high five or whatever, like then I know that we're we're in a place. And, you know, sometimes schools have to navigate both of those things. And, and you know, like, for example, the school we saw, I thought, you know, they had a metal detector, but it was still pretty warm as you walked in. And it was still a place where adults were greeting the students by name. Adults were smiling at each other. Um, and I think that that, you know, as simple as it sounds, just like, what are you walking into makes a big difference. And I will say also that the physical space usually doesn't make a difference, right? Um, it, it can, right? But I've definitely been in spaces where they've spent a lot of money on, you know, building this like high-tech innovative space and it's cold or it's, you know, like it just doesn't feel like a place I want to be, right? Like, uh Whereas I've gone to places where it's in a 200-year-old building, they're co-located with nine other schools, and, you know, you're immediately like, oh, this feels different. This feels really, really different. Um, the next thing that, that I feel like I, I always wonder and think about is, are, like, how much are the young people owning the space? And so, like, I always walk in, and if a young person is like, hey, how are you? Who are you? What are you doing here? What do you want to see? Or, like, can I help you find something? Then I know that there's at least a modicum of student ownership in the school and the and the uh, and the sort of vision and mission of the school. Uh, and I think that you know those small things really like are are huge tells as you as you walk in. Um, I think the other thing that like I, I tend to think about a lot is is this question of sort of like how um, how much does the school as a as a place reflect the community, right? Um, and so, like, there have definitely been times when I've walked into a place and the, the, um, you know, an example that I think of often is, is Crosstown High in Memphis. Like, when you walk in there, there's student art everywhere. It's also in the middle of a Memphis community center. And you just have a feeling that you are, like, you could not be in a school that is not in the middle of Memphis, right? And 
I think that that sense of place, belonging, and community that that builds is so important for everybody. Um, and that goes back to the sort of storytelling thing that we were talking about earlier. It's like, this is a Memphis school. This is a place where we let our best selves uh, sort of appear every day, and, and we are part of a larger community. Very good. Um, yeah, I, yeah not, not to necessarily go negative here, but I think it's important for for us to talk about some non-examples. So you talk about, you know, what you notice is that schools that are transforming, uh, working on that sense of belonging, sense of purpose, and that curiosity, and that leaders are aware of limitations of themselves, their system, and they're able to tell stories. Um, what have you witnessed? Because I know you've, I'm, I know you've had to have seen this as well. What things have you witnessed in schools that are really stuck? That they're just very traditional. They they can't seem to get out of their own way. They're just not. They're not very effective. Um, what what have, what patterns and trends do you see there with just the school, the leadership, anywhere you want to take that question? Um, well, I I could talk for hours about this, but um, I, I would I would start by saying. Um, the first thing is, is that there's just like this enormous absence of trust in these places, right? Like that young people don't trust each other. Young people don't trust adults. Adults, adults don't trust adults. And a lot of what drives that is, um, this just sort of sense of feeling really unsafe. Right. Um, and when I say safe, I'm not necessarily talking about like, um, you know, safe in the hallways or anything like that. More just this idea that like, there is some boogeyman that I can't see that is going to like tell me that I'm not doing a good job. Right. Um, and so, I, I mean, the example that I often give is like, I think that like when schools are really not working, you really see the external incentive structures like hurting young people. Right. So like, uh, an example that I can like give just sort of off the top of my head is if you go into like a traditional math class and there's 26 kids in there trying to learn algebra, right? This teacher, first of all, feels like they have to cover a curriculum that isn't particularly relevant. They have 26 young people and math is a great example because everybody is always at a different place with math, right? They have to teach all 26 of those young people at the same time. Some of those young people are dealing with things that like, you know, they they didn't sleep last night because they were taking care of their younger brother or they, you know, they're having a bad day because of whatever. And that that young person might have their head down. Right. And then that math teacher is always incentivized to either get that young person out of the class. Right. Because they have to focus on the other 25 because their job depends on it or sort of have some sort of confrontation with that young person and like escalate it so that they can create a sense. And I'm yeah, I'll use air quotes here, but not really like of high expectations. Right. That that that's not who we are when we're in a school. Right. And and I think that all of those things combined to just create this unbelievably toxic cocktail where everybody's not happy. Right. Uh, you know, I think that every person that gets involved in education, like, does it because they want to do the right thing. They, you know, like and then when they start to, you know, we are all achievement freaks too, right? Because that's the sort of the way that we're brought up. And and so we don't want to do a bad job. And we're immediately told that, you know, when we walk into a classroom that to do a good job, you have to do these things that aren't actually the right things by young people. 
and so even if you want to do them and even if you're pushing against those things, it's still a really uncomfortable place for everybody, right? Um, so, you know, like uh, recently I walked into a classroom and I was asking a young person, why are you learning what you're learning? And this person across the class goes, I ask myself that every day. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. I'm getting a clue here that maybe this is not a place in which relevant learning is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that, that I think is, that I think is an example of what it looks like when it's not working. Um, I mean, if you'll indulge me, the other thing that I think about often is, is this idea of like punitive justice systems and the ways in which that really, really incentivizes people to make terrible decisions. Um, so the, the school that I founded in New York City, like one of the things that I was most proud of was that through our time, we, we never suspended a young person. But that left me so exposed, right? Because if any of those young people had done something terrible, I would have been on the front page of the New York Post, like school that doesn't suspend kids causes, you know, crime wave or whatever. I don't know what they would say, but, 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 uh, these, these, um, you know, discipline codes or discipline systems are not about helping young people. They're about protecting adults so that adults can be like, well, I did what I was supposed to do. It's not my fault that this young person made a bad choice, right? Um, and you know, there's tons and tons and tons of research now and tons and tons of, um, yeah, you know, even just like anecdotal, uh, uh, data that shows that it is so much more expensive and difficult to rehabilitate a young person after they have been put into the school to prison pipeline than it is to just work with them when they're in a school, (laughs) you know? So even if your heart's not in the right place, your wallet should be telling you, don't do this. That's right. Right. Yeah. What, what, what I, um, what I hear you saying in all three of those examples, absence of trust, unsafe, uh, external reward structures and primitive justice systems is the, the, the word that just pops in my head is control that, that the adults in the system are just, you know, I, I think control is an illusion. The real job of leadership is influence. What I'm hearing you say is the schools that are struggling are trying to over control and manage everything and that leads to these really horrible decisions. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, I mean, I think the other thing is like, um, to do, to do really transformative work, it means that adults have to change the way that they think and like about themselves. Right. And so like, um, you know, I, I do, I see a lot of schools say like, well, we're a restorative justice school, but then as soon as an adult has to change anything, we're done, right? Like if an adult is doing things that, uh, you know, like a, a young person feels might be racist or sexist or anti LGBTQ or whatever. Right. And, and there's no way to call an adult out on that. That feels like it's a level playing field, that it feels like th- there's actually going to be change from this and an adult doesn't have to do it. Right. Like they, they, they don't have to do it. And so you have to be operating at a really high reflective level to actually be like in a, in a truly like, uh, just place, I, I think. And, and that is hard. That's hard for everybody. That was hard for me, right? Like nobody likes to hear the ways in which they are messing up or the ways in which they're hurting people. Um, but you know, asking people that are first of all, like trying to teach or trying to like work with a bunch of traumatized people and schools are also just places that are full of trauma all the time. And to ask 
you know, people on top of all of that to be like reflecting to the point where they're changing their belief system. It, that is a big, big, big ask. Right. And that requires a lot of psychological safety. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, that pivots to kind of our last uh, segment of our conversation today. And, uh, you know, I, I've told you this before, and I'm sure you hear this from lots of folks, but, you know, I've been on the receiving end of many site visits as you have. And um, most of them are compliance driven, which automatically, but anyway, I, I, I would exit those feeling beaten down or less than or uh, best case scenario that you just wasted my time. I don't feel beaten down, but you just wasted a lot of my time. That really, I mean, that was the opposite of what my experience was when you and the Springpoint team visited. Um, and I, I saw it again this week when I was with you. We, we had to we got to relay some really great information, cool stuff the school was doing, and then we had some challenging things we had to reflect back to them. Uh, and, and you do a masterful job with that. The team does a great job with that. What have you learned about giving that kind of feedback where you know it's you know, you know it's feedback that they need to hear, but our human nature to protect our egos and that can get in the way. How how have you um, learned to, to do that effectively and, and make that work? Uh, well, the first thing is that I, like you, was on the receiving end of many visits that did not work. So I have a giant checklist in my head of things not to do that I... <laughs> you know, that I experienced. Um, you know, one of my, one of my favorite, uh, New York city stories is that, uh, like I I was, uh, outside of my school one day and, you know, I was always greeting the young folks as they walked in and this, uh, person walked up and greeted me and I was like, Oh, are you a new parent? And they were like, no, 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 I'm your new boss. I'm here for a second. And, you know, like, and uh, that is like, so that's the, that's the first thing is, is like, there's no, uh, you know, when you're coming in as an outsider, the first thing that I feel like I always try to do is understand that I am an outsider and I do not know what's going on. Right. And so, you know, and like clearly expressing that, right. Because you and I have both been on the other side of that, which is I'm coming in with a checklist. This I'm coming in with things that I want to see. And because those are the things that I'm going to want to see, I'm not going to see any of the other good stuff that's happening, right? And I will immediately think that anything that is not on that checklist is something bad, right? Uh, And so, you know, that's a relatively simple thing, but that's the first thing, like just to walk in with a a truly open mind of like, I don't know what I'm going to see here, right? Um, And and I think the next thing, and, you know, you and I were just on a visit with a – with a, uh, uh, a colleague and she was like, my empathy is through the roof right now. <laughs> and that was a beautiful explanation of like what the mindset has to be. Uh, and, you know, I think you and I have both been there, been in the shoes of school leaders or teachers or, you know, instructional coaches. And the job is hard. The job is just really, really, really hard. Whether you're doing it well or you're doing it poorly or you are, you know, in your first year or in your 20th year, there's no time when the heavens part and you're like, this is just an easy job that I am like killing it. Right. And so so being able to empathize with that. But also, I, I think the thing is, like, you know, schools are places where people do not get 
actual positive feedback very often, right? Like it's such a deficit-based approach that when you walk in and say, this thing you're doing is great, you know, like, I don't know about this other stuff, but this is great, right? And you genuinely mean it and you can genuinely connect with somebody about that. That feels like it, that feels so unique to people that often they're taken off guard or like, and they're like, oh, oh, okay. I, okay. This person actually sees something good that I'm doing. Uh, now I'm starting to feel like maybe I can, I can trust them a little bit. Right. Um, and I think by the way, that that is something that is echoed in schools, right? Like when students walk in, the first thing that they often hear is like, well, you're reading at a third grade level. We got to get you to a ninth grade level. So, or you're really bad at math. So we're going to put you in remedial math in a basement with a, you know, uh, you know, with a group of other people that are bad at math. Um, and instead of what are you bringing to the table here? What's the, like, who are you? Uh, what are you good at? Right. And, and, you know, I, I think that like, a lot of what we have to do when we are like visiting places is really come in with that asset-based mindset and just be like, what am I going to see here that, that is going to be good? What is this school? What are these people doing well? What are the building blocks here of, of something great? And then genuinely reflecting that back to people. Um, and I do think that like, you know, uh, every time that I go into a school, like I, I also, ge- I genuinely feel a great deal of like love and empathy for the people that are there working hard. And I want to help in any way that I can. Sometimes the help that I can provide is very limited, but, but I, I, that's something that's so important to me. And I believe that if I lead with my heart in those places, people will understand that and people will know that. And, and that that's like a, that's a huge tool uh, when, when conducting a visit. And that comes with whether I'm rating a school or whether I'm just there observing because I want to learn, right? Like it's, I I keep the same mindset no matter what. Like if I'm going into a school thinking about where they rate on a rubric, or I'm going into a school just because I'm curious about what the school is doing, I walk in with the same brain and the same heart either way. And I think that that, that really, really helps. I, I think the other thing is like, um, those visits are designed in such a way that data is gathered and like information is gathered before anything else happens. Right. Uh, and then that, that, that is like open and transparent. So it's not like I walk into a class. I mean, you know, it's not like I'm walking into a classroom and like shaking my head and, and being like, hmm, hmm, but they don't know what I'm doing that too. Right. <laughs> Uh, and, and so I, I, I would say that like the, the transparency of the process also really, really helps people feel like the process is, is happening on the level and, and feels like a genuinely supportive thing and not a, not a gotcha. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, definitely how it felt on the receiving end and, and on the delivering end this week as well was that, uh, and I, it struck me as you were talking that. You know, our team, we, we have that rubric that we have to score. We did that at the very end. It wasn't, it wasn't something we did and then, and then finagled the data that we saw to fit. It was, it was a conversation about the data we saw and patterns. And, and, and then we worked on the rubric, which I think is often opposite of how folks think about that. Well, I would add one other thing that I've been thinking about a lot over the last month, which is that um, schools are a place where like data and things happen, but schools are also a place where feelings happen, right? And so um, one of the reasons that we always try to set up that debrief with just say whatever you're thinking or feeling is that it'll give space for feelings too. 
And if you don't give space for those feelings, then those feelings come out in the like, well, you know, like obviously the adults here don't care, right? You can operate on a much higher, you can operate on a much higher rung on that sort of ladder of inference and, and say like, because this school isn't working, adults don't care, right? Rather than adults here are really care, but there's a lot of things that aren't working. Right. Yep. Perfect. Well, I can't believe our time's up already, Dave. It's been great uh, with you. I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us and getting smart here today. Um, Trace, uh, thank you so much. And I just want to make sure that I add that um, uh, if listeners of this don't know anything about Iowa Big, they should go immediately book a flight to Cedar Rapids. I, I don't want to inundate your school, your former the former place with uh with uh, you know these yokels coming to gawk at it, but but I think uh, it's a great it's a it's a great example of a place that really builds curiosity and and I learned so much from listening to you sort of tell the story of Iowa Big, so it's just so, such a privilege and an honor to be joining you today. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.